As has been mentioned, you know, we're in the series for Advent called One Story. And uh, we started off a couple weeks ago with Pastor Don sharing the need for Christmas from Genesis chapter 3. And the, the, the big idea from there was the hope of Christmas is the only remedy for sin and the fall. And then uh, Todd gave an amazing uh, message again last, last week, and we had the promise of Christmas from Isaiah 59 and 60, and his point, main point was, in dark times, God is at work doing things worth waiting for. So we saw as we're looking toward that uh, birth of the child. This week, we're going to be talking about the gifts of Christmas, and we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, and if you have a Bible, you can pull that out, and those verses will be up on the screen. But to begin with, I wanted to have a story, and I wanted to actually have someone else read it. So I've asked Christy to come and share that story to kind of uh, set our hearts and minds towards uh, the gifts of Christmas. So, Christy. Years ago, there was a very wealthy man who, with his devoted young son, shared a passion for art collecting. Together they traveled around the world, adding only the finest art treasures to their collection. Priceless works by Picasso, Van Gogh, Monet, and many others adorned the walls of the family estate. The widowed elder man looked on with satisfaction as his only child became an experienced art collector. The son's trained eye and sharp business mind caused his father to beam with pride as they dealt with art collectors around the world. As winter approached, war engulfed the nation, and the young man left to serve his country. After only a few short weeks, his father received a telegram. His beloved son was missing in action. The art collector awaited anxiously more news, fearing he would never see his son again. Within days, his fears were confirmed. The young man had died while rushing a fellow soldier to a medic. Distraught and lonely, the old man faced the upcoming Christmas holidays with anguish and sadness. The joy of the season, a season that he and his son had so looked forward to, would visit his house no longer. On Christmas morning, a knock on the door awakened the depressed old man. As he walked to the door, the masterpieces of art on the walls only reminded him that his son was not coming home. As he opened the door, he was greeted by a soldier with a large package in his hand. He introduced himself to the man by saying, I was a friend of your son. I was the one he was rescuing when he died. May I come in for a few moments? I have something to show you. As the two began to talk, the soldier told of how the man's son had told everyone of his, not to mention his father's, love of fine art. I'm an artist, said the soldier, and I want to give you this. As the old man unwrapped the package, the paper gave way to reveal a portrait of the son. Though the world would never consider it the work of a genius, the painting featured the young man's face in striking detail. Overcome with emotion, the man thanked the soldier, promising to hang the picture over the fireplace. A few hours later, after the soldier had departed, 
the old man set about his task. True to his word, the painting went well above the fireplace, pushing aside thousands of dollars of paintings. And then the man sat in his chair and spent Christmas gazing at the gift he had been given. During the days and weeks that followed, the man realized that even though his son was no longer with him, the boy's life would live on because of those he had touched. He would soon learn that his son had rescued dozens of wounded soldiers before a bullet stilled his caring heart. As the stories of his son's gallantry continued to reach him, fatherly pride and satisfaction began to ease the grief. The painting of his son soon became his most prized possession, far eclipsing any interest in the pieces for which museums around the world clamored. He told his neighbors it was the greatest gift he had ever received. The following spring, the old man became ill and passed away. The art world was in anticipation. Unmindful of the story of the man's only son, but in his honor, those paintings would be sold at an auction. According to the will of the old man, all of the artworks would be auctioned on Christmas Day, the day he had received his greatest gift. The day soon arrived and art collectors from around the world gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings. Dreams would be fulfilled this day. Greatness would be achieved. As many would claim, I have the greatest collection. The auction began with a painting that was not on any museum's list. It was the painting of the man's son. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid. The room was silent. Who will open the bidding with $100, he asked. Minutes passed, no one spoke. From the back of the room came, who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let's forget it and go on to the good stuff. More voices echoed in agreement. No, we have to sell this one first, replied the auctioneer. Now who will take the son? Finally, a friend of the old man spoke. Will you take $10 for the painting? That's all I have. I was their gardener. I knew the boy, so I'd like to have it. The auctioneer said, I have $10. Will anyone go higher? After more silence, the auctioneer said, going once, going twice, gone. The gavel fell, cheers filled the room, and someone exclaimed, now we can get on with it, and we can bid on these treasures. The auctioneer looked at the audience and announced the auction was over. Stunned disbelief quieted the room. Someone spoke up and asked, what do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for a picture of the old man's son. What about all these paintings? There are millions of dollars of art here. I demand that you explain what's going on. The auctioneer replied, it's very simple. According to the will of the father, whoever takes the son gets it all. Thanks, Christy. You know, just as those collectors discovered on that Christmas day, the message is very similar. The love of a father, his adoration for his son, the son who goes away and rescues others, 
giving his life. And because of the love of the Father, whoever gets the Son gets it all. Our text today we'll be looking at is Ephesians. And I want to look with us. at this big idea for our time. The big idea is this. Those who are united with Christ are made holy and inherit every spiritual blessing. Those who are united with Christ are made holy and inherit every spiritual blessing. Let's pray together. Lord, it seems like every Christmas season the question always seems to come up, what is the real meaning of Christmas? And it seems as though people miss the the real message that's to be heard. That Jesus Christ, you are the gift. And that in you and being united with you and knowing you and having been saved by you, Lord, all the gifts come to us, every spiritual blessing. And so, Lord, as we, as we look once again at this truth, as we look at your word, Lord, would you open up our hearts once again? Would you reveal once again to our minds? Lord, for those who perhaps still don't know you, Lord, would you grant them an understanding of your wonderful salvation through your Son? And Lord, would you help me as I share your truth, as I share this text, to to be uh, faithful to it and to really help your people to grasp the impact that that can have in our lives, even here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. We have three points I want to make from our text this morning, and we're going to kind of read it as we go through the points. The first point is this, that we are family because of his grace. There's two more points we'll look at. We are free because of his blood, and we are co-heirs because of our union. So let me read the first few parts of our, of our text here. We are family because of his grace. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This text is actually kind of a, a, a blessing to God. You know, the, the text is really not an instruction per se, although we're instructed by it. But this is a, 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 a blessing text, an expression of praise to God. And it's a long sentence. Actually, the whole text that we're going to be looking at is just one long sentence, you know, that is this cascading uh, description of the work of Christ and his, uh, his amazing person. And I want to look at this first section here where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing before the heavenly places, in the heavenly places. And so this idea of being in Christ is really not something we normally think about. You know, when we think about being... Uh, a Christian, we say, you know, we receive Christ, you know, we believe in Christ and those kind of things. But actually this idea of being in Christ is actually more prevalent through the New Testament than many of those other statements that we make. 
11 times in the Greek text is this idea of being in Christ. One of the most, it's one of the most important concepts in Paul, the Apostle Paul's theology. It has to do with this union that we have with Jesus Christ. It's the place that believers reside. You know, when you try and communicate a spiritual truth, it's difficult to use physical, tangible examples. But this is how we reside in Christ. We are actually in Christ. And we'll talk about how Christ is in us. We talk about how we abide in Christ and other places. But here we're kind of thinking about this this idea of being in Christ, and it's the source where we find our salvation and blessing. It's the framework that we, we should be aware of when we live out our lives, when we're working, when we're among people and things like that. That being in Christ allows us to access to his life to his death, to his power, to his wisdom. It's the vast repository that holds the gifts of God, but without Christ losing any of his personality and his relationship with us. He is the source of all blessings, so because we reside in him, we enjoy these blessings. And that's why when we talk about this Christmas gift, when we have Christ when we're in Christ, all these blessings that we'll be talking about, all these gifts that we're going to be talking about today are what's available to us because of our being in Christ. Let's pick it up in verse 4. It says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption. You see, we're family because we have the Son. We're family because we're in Christ. And it says here that the way that that happened is that he chose us. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before we ever were on this earth, he set his affections. He set his choice on us. He chose us in Christ or in him. It says that he, in love, predestined us to be part of his family. That was his intention when he thought about you before you were ever in existence. When we talk about election, and we can't fully you know, develop that at this point, we've, we've shared some of those things, but we talk about the idea of election, which includes this idea of being predestined for adoption, this idea of being chosen before the foundation of the world. It's the reason that we can be actually in God's family. Because if left to ourselves, left to our own abilities, we would never have made it into God's family. We would never, we would never qualify to be part of God's family. We would never be able to earn being part of his family. The only reason that we could be part of his family is because of the basis of God's character. God's love, God's plan, God's action. Because of what he's done, you and I can have that gift of being part of the family of God. The initiative is always based on grace. Salvation is not some accident or afterthought on the part of God. It was God reaching out to us. It was God making a way for us. It was God drawing us to himself. It was God giving you and I faith 
God turning our attention to him. God changing our mind about how we think we should be saved. This gift of being a part of the family of God, you know, is not something that we could have ever earned. Now we contrast that with, you know, this time of the year. Consider the traditional gift giver at this time of year. Who is it, you know, that gives gifts at this time of year? Can we slide? Santa, okay, Santa. And the basis of those gifts is what? Are you naughty or are you nice? I guess we get another option on this little checklist. Naughty, nice, or I tried, you know, I tried. But the fact is, to get the gifts of God, you know, you can't just try. You know, you, you, have, you would have to have a, uh, either you're, you're, you're good or you're not good. You're either naughty or nice, so to speak. And so, uh, if it were up to God, it would be this one here. You know, game over. <laughs> Grace, though is a word from the scriptures that talks about how God delights in being gracious to us. He rejoices in beauty and kindness and charm and favor. It refers to God's unbelievable acceptance of us. It's not merely something that God gives to us, but it's, it's actually God giving himself to us. The initiative always belongs to God, and it grants people the gift of eternal life. Adoption is by grace, and it's a family imagery, and it explains the salvation experience that we have, that we've been brought into a family by God's kindness, God's mercy, God's givingness, God's overlooking our sin because of we are in him. And the purpose of God's election is relational. So we are in God's family. We've been adopted into his family because of grace. And we pick it up here in verse 5. It says, In love he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Again, this is, this is because we are in Christ. This word beloved is, means the one that he loves. Just like the father in the illustration just so loved his son. Because you are in his son, God can extend this grace to you and to me. So we are family because of his grace. And secondly, we are free because of his blood. Starting in verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. In him we have redemption. This isn't a word that we typically use in our own, uh, in our own kind of vocabulary today. But redemption has its, its roots in kind of Old Testament kind of thinking. There's, there's two ways that the word redemption was used at that time. It was the covenant idea of language and it was also had to do with the marketplace. In both of these, the idea of purchasing or buying back something, some item, some person, or otherwise would be lost, is applied to the lost, to prisoners, to the destroyed. And that's what, that's what we were 
before Christ came in and saved us and brought us into his family. We were lost. We were in bondage. We would be destroyed. And so Paul's use is to signify that we've been redeemed is from this bondage and, and paying this price. The price paid is clearly the blood of Christ, meaning a sacrificial death. We recently went through 1 Peter, and in 1 Peter, we had 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Knowing that you were not ransomed with fetal, from your fetal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So we are freed because of his blood. And it goes on from there in verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his promise, which he set forth in Christ as a plan to the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Because of this family union with him, there's been given to us not only the salvation and the freedom that we have from our sin, but it's also been given to us, it says, that we have now all, we have insight and wisdom so that we could know this mystery according to God's will. The scripture, when it uses the word mystery, it's not talking about something that we can't understand. It's, it's talking about something that hasn't been really clearly revealed. And so because of Christ, and because of his word, now we can understand what God was doing. His plan all along was to set forth his son, Christ. And in the fullness of time, as we have both at Christmas time and what we have in our time now, heading towards his return, in the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So we are freed we are freed by, uh, by this sacrifice that he's made. We've been set free here in this life, and we've been set free for all eternity. Our eternity before us is, is, is hopeful and filled with joy as we look forward to it. You know, Speaking of, you know, just of, of the hope that we have, you know, when we think through, you know, the various candles that we have of hope and joy and these peace and these things like that, how is that possible? It's possible because we see that we've, we've seen the storyline of what's going on in the Bible. We know what's coming. We know even that things will get worse at times. We know that, we know that the future, you know, we have broad stroke understanding of how, you know, this earth is going to go. But we also know that in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. We're not, we're not limited in this life by just the circumstances we have because we know that we have overcome through Jesus Christ and through his, uh, his sacrifice and resurrection. So we're not victims. We don't have to live like there's no hope. This, this gift that we have received gives us a promise of the life to come. And even in this life, it gives us security. So these are our Christmas gifts so far. We've, we, we have been brought into God's family by his grace. We're set free 
from sin and death, free to expect that God is going to take care of us. And thirdly, we're co-heirs because of our union with him. In verse 11, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It says here in verse 11, In him we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance. You and I, when we became part of the family of God, when we were in Christ, we became co-heirs with Jesus. The king of the universe, only son, Jesus, is heir to everything that he has. Heir to everything that he has in heaven and on earth. And you and I, when you, when you received that son, when you believed in Jesus, at that time it says that you also received an inheritance. Next week we're going to talk about a lot of the things that are, that are future related. We're going to talk about some heavenly and eternal things. And uh, we're going to open up the scriptures and look at some of those things as well. But think about it. As poor as you may feel, as, as weak as you may feel, as, as in, insignificant as you may be tempted to feel, you are going to co-reign, co-lead, co-own what Jesus has. All these things, cities, kingdoms, feasts, goods, all kinds of things, you know, are going to be given to us in our future. Some of those things are accessible in terms of peace and joy and love and many other fruits of the Spirit are available to us. But it says, we have obtained an inheritance because of the Son. In verse 12 it says, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of an inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. How do we know that we're going to get an inheritance? How do you know that you're going to, you're going to co-reign with Jesus Christ for all eternity? How do you know these things? What, what assurance do you have? What assurance is that it'll be available to you in some time in the future? Well, God says here that as a down payment, he sealed you with the Holy Spirit. He's a guarantee of your inheritance until you have possession of it. God gave you a down payment. God gave us a down payment that what I've promised you in terms of this inheritance, what you have in terms of this being able to co-reign with Jesus Christ, how do you know if you have those things? Well, he says, I'm going to seal you with the Holy Spirit. So at our salvation, we actually receive the Holy Spirit. At our salvation, we were given the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, who began by transforming our hearts, by filling us, by showing himself by fruits in our lives, by gifts that we have that are supernatural you know, in, in their existence in us. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you and I to empower you right now, to comfort you right now, to teach you things, to guide you, to speak to you. All those things are the beginnings of what God is going to do by him, in, in himself, through his spirit in this case, so that you know 
all those promises about eternity are going to come true. This is your down payment. This isn't the whole thing. This is the beginning so that you might experience the life of Jesus Christ because he can be with you at all the times by his spirit, but also that you can experience the knowledge that, yes, all that he has promised to me is coming. It says that he's been given to us in verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so there's much to be said about the Holy Spirit. I just want to just give you a a little heads up. In February, February 10th and 11th, we have a 24-hour retreat, a Holy Spirit retreat. Uh, I'd love for you to join us at that time because that'll be a time we're going to take many, many sessions to talk about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit and how to experience uh, the Holy Spirit. But as we've looked here today, the big idea again is that we are united with Christ. We who are united with Christ are made holy and inherit every spiritual blessing. I want to call the worship team to come. <laughs> 